You know, oftentimes we don't think about the event before the event. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. These are real newspaper headlines. Four slain in Sacramento by disgruntled employee. Microsoft plans to win with new Xbox. All eyes on consumer spending after devastating jobs report. McConaughey rushes to age stricken fan. Harry Potter extras accidentally filmed topless. Red Sox Yankees rained out. Pop-up ads, advertisers, new best friend. Each one of those were real headlines that America thought was so important on September the 10th, 2001. It was the next day then that everything changed. And I bring all that up because next week we're celebrating Easter, the day that literally everything changed. We're going to celebrate next week the, the resurrection of Jesus when sin was defeated, when, when death was, was broken once and for all. We talk a lot about Easter. We talk a lot about the resurrection, but oftentimes we don't talk about the events that led up to the actual event. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're actually going to talk about everything that led up to Jesus' resurrection. Today's what is typically known as Palm Sunday, or what is sometimes called the triumphal entry of Jesus. And what that's talking about is seven days, or actually a, a, a week before his, his resurrection, Jesus goes riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He rides into Jerusalem knowing full well that riding in there, he's basically signing his own death warrant. Now, what's that all about? What is this event that happened before the event? Well, that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. When Jesus rode in there on, on that donkey, many people would say that that is the beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross. Really, that's not true. Jesus' journey to the cross started long before Palm Sunday. Jesus' journey to the cross, it started long before he started his public ministry. Jesus' journey to the cross, it, it started long before his even birth here on the earth. See, Jesus' journey to the cross has always been a part of God's plan, how to redeem his people from their sin. About 600 years before the time of Jesus, there was a, a prophet by the name of, of Zechariah, and he had prophesied this. He said that one day, one day, God's people were going to see the Messiah riding into Jerusalem. And that's what happens on this, this Palm Sunday. Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on the, the back of a donkey, and the, the people, they, they didn't realize that, again, this journey wasn't about their circumstances right here and right now that actually this journey was a part of a, a much bigger plan, that this wasn't about establishing an earthly kingdom. This was about establishing a, a, a spiritual kingdom, one that was going to last forever and ever. Jesus riding in the Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, this wasn't about getting human approval. No, this was about approval of his father, making sure that he was fulfilling the plan that God had spoken many, many years before. This was an act of obedience. Now, to help you to understand this more today, I want to sort of put three pictures into your mind. Three pictures. In fact, I, what I should have done is actually... Guys, could you help me out in the, the tech booth? Could you actually, like, find a picture of a donkey? That's the first thing I want you to think of is a donkey. Can you, can you guys, like, find a picture of a donkey for me quick? 
You able to find something? You got it? You got something? Okay, can you put something up there? Let's see what you got. Oh, actually. All right, now the question is, which one is the donkey? <laughs> uh, actually, I'm glad you guys found that one. If you guys remember, this is me with Caroline the donkey. This was uh, 2020 for our Christmas Eve. I returned back to our family farm. You know, I grew up on a horse farm, and so we had all kinds of horses and stuff, other animals as well. Um, Caroline is pretty old, but I, she was uh, an addition after I had already left the, the family farm. But uh, for Christmas Eve, I went back to the farm to sort of tell the Christmas story, and this is Caroline the donkey. Now, the first word that you think of when you think of a donkey that you can actually say as a follower of Jesus, what would it be? What, what's the first word you think of with a donkey? Yeah, somebody just said it. Stubborn. Stubborn. And I, I remember with Caroline the donkey, it took me just as long to get Caroline in place for where we wanted her for the scene that we were going to shoot as it did to actually shoot the scene. I mean, talk about stubborn. And so it seems sort of odd that, you know, Jesus would bring, you know, like this, this donkey, you know, this is what he's going to ride into Jerusalem on, this triumphal entry that he's going in. It just seems so odd. I mean, what, what, was, what was happening? Was Jesus just tired of walking? Was there no horses around that he could ride in on? Did he go to the local, like, camel budget rental center, you know, or whatever? And they were just out of them that day, and they're like, sorry, the only thing we have left is this, cam uh, this, this donkey here. You got to ride that. I mean, what, what was going on? Well, I already mentioned to you, 600 years before the time of Jesus, prophet Zechariah had said this, that the people of Jerusalem were going to one day rejoice because their Messiah, their Savior, was going to come riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He was going to come in as a victorious king. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with a colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks why you're doing this, just say the Lord needs them. He will at once let you have the donkeys. So God's promise came true just as the prophet had said. Announce to the people of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. He is humble and rides on a donkey. He comes on the colt of a donkey. The disciples left and did what Jesus had told them to do. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So again, Jesus riding on the back of a donkey, this wasn't an accident. This was actually fulfillment of Scripture. I've shared with the, the, this with you before that there are 333 specific prophecies about Jesus. How would they know who the Messiah was? Well, you would have to fulfill all 333 prophecies. And so this is a fulfillment of one of those. Now, let me add this as well. You know, donkeys aren't the prettiest of animals. They're not considered majestic in any way. And so when Jesus came riding in on a donkey, he was actually proving another point. You see, the, the Roman government, the, the ones that were in charge in that day and time, the ones that were oppressing the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, 
They rode up on the the backs of, of big, tall, fancy, majestic horses. It was a sign of their power. It was a sign of their position. It was a sign of their authority. When Jesus comes in on a donkey, he's saying, look, I'm a different kind of king. I'm going to rule in a different way. I'm not going to rule with power. I'm going to rule with humility. I'm not going to rule with arrogance. I came to serve, not to be served. So again, the the donkey should be a reminder to us that Jesus is a different kind of king, a king who rules in humility. All right, the, the second picture, guys, if you could find a palm branch for me, if you can like Google or something, palm branch. Got something? All right, can you go and put that up? Okay, cool. Uh, to understand the palm branch here, I, I want to give you a sort of an odd illustration, but I, I think it'll, it'll help you to, to understand what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine that you take your elementary age kids or grandkids, and you put them in the back seat of your car. And you're driving along, and all of a sudden there is screaming and shouting. There's excitement in the back seat because your kids are grandkids. They realize that you are driving to their favorite ice cream store. They are excited. They can almost taste that sweet goodness in their mouth. But then... You drive right on past the ice cream store, head to the airport, where you immediately get on a private jet, and you're on your way to Paris, France. Now, what you are giving your kids and grandkids is much better than ice cream. You're giving them a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Paris. But your kids are what? They are disappointed. They're disappointed because they expected one thing, but you're giving them something else. And so again, that illustration helps you to understand what would have happened for the people of Jesus' day. When Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, they're so excited. Because remember, the prophecy had been that the Messiah would come in riding on a donkey. And they had been speculating now for a long time going, we think this Jesus, he may be the guy. He may be the one. He could be the Messiah, and all of a sudden he comes riding in on the donkey, and they're going, yep, Scripture said in Zechariah that the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is our guy. He's going to come. He's going to free us from our Roman oppressors. Again, all the world at that point was being ruled by the Roman Empire. The nation of Israel, they were so oppressed by the Romans. And the Jews were convinced that the Messiah is going to come as a military leader and he is going to come and he is going to free us from the oppression. He's going to come like a general. He's going to lead us into the battle. And once and for all, we will be set free. The Messiah, he's going to do this for us. And so what the people are doing as Jesus comes riding in is they start to cheer and shout, Hooray! He is here! Hallelujah! Which means, please save us! They're shouting all these things. We actually read about it in Matthew chapter 21, verses 8 to 11. I mean, the people, they can almost taste the victory of what the Messiah is going to do for them. Look, Look at what Matthew writes. He says, A large crowd of people spread their clothes on the road, while others 
put palm branches or, or cut down uh, palm branches of palm trees and they spread them all over the road. Some people walked ahead of Jesus and others followed behind and they were all shouting, hooray for the son of David. God bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hooray for God in heaven above. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, everyone in the city was excited and they asked, who can this be? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The waving of palm branches was done as a traditional sign of victory. That we have won the victory. That Jesus hasn't even gone in yet. And they're already waving. Woo! We win! Hooray! Hallelujah! He is here to save us. They're putting their coats down on the road. They're like, we don't want our Messiah. We don't want our conquering king to even get dirty and dusty from the roads. And so we're putting our clothes down. So it prepares a way for them. I mean, they can taste the freedom as the Messiah, the rescuers come to kick some Roman butt. They are going to get their country back once again. And he is going to establish Israel as God's nation on the earth. But just like the illustration I used with you about the ice cream, Jesus had something completely different in mind. He wasn't going to meet their expectations. He had something far better in store for them. You see, what the crowd soon discovered was that Jesus wasn't the kind of king that they were expecting. He wasn't there to set up a political kingdom. He had something greater in mind. He was a spiritual king, not an earthly king. Yes, he had come to set them free, but not from Caesar. He had come to set them free from Satan. He didn't come to set them free from a bad politician. He had come to set them free from sin. He was there to restore a right relationship with God and give them victory over sin and death and even hell itself. Now, what's obvious from the story that we just read there was they didn't understand that quite yet. And so they're shouting, they're cheering, they're tweeting out, hashtag Team Jesus. They are so excited. But what we don't see here in Matthew's account, by the way, this account of Palm Sunday is in all four of the Gospels. So it tells you this is a pretty important story. But what we don't see in, in Matthew's account here is that there were others in the crowd, including the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, we've talked about them a lot. They were the ones that were against Jesus. They were the religious elite of the day. They felt threatened by Jesus' popularity. And so they're there in the crowd and they're just, they've got their arms crossed and they're shaking their heads, you know, what are these people doing? You know, shouting hallelujah. I mean, they're, they're pretty upset about the whole situation. But one of the things that, that both groups that are in the crowd there have in common, whether they were against Jesus or for Jesus, is that none of them had a clue as to the magnitude of what Jesus was riding in to Jerusalem to do. They had no idea what him riding in actually was about to mean. In fact, even the disciples didn't understand it yet. John chapter 12, verse 16, in John's account of this story, Jesus' very best friend, he writes this, he says, his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. So here's my question for you today. For those of you here in the room, those of you that are watching online, what is it that right now 
you're expecting Jesus to do in your life? What is it that you're expecting Jesus to do in your life? What is it that that you're really, really hoping for is going to happen in your life right now? What are you expecting Jesus to do for you? The next question is this. Are you okay if he doesn't meet your expectations? Because he actually has something better in store for you. See, so often we we make life about ourselves and, and what it is that we want. We want to be served. We want life to be about me. But remember the example of Jesus. He comes riding in on a lowly donkey, a symbol of humility. I didn't come to be served. He says, I came to serve other people. And this palm branch should always be a reminder to you that the crowd had expectations of one thing, but Jesus was going to give them something completely different. Are you going to be okay with that? When Jesus gives you something completely different than what you've been expecting, will you be all right with that? All right, the, the final picture I want to put in your mind, uh, guys, if you can like uh, Google like for a rock, if you can give me a picture of a rock. Got something? All right, go ahead. Not... Not, not that, not that kind of, don't make me come back there and slap you guys. <laughs> I, I was, I was talking like an actual rock, not Chris Rock, an actual rock. If you can put something up, the actual rock, if you can put that up there. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, good help's hard to find around here. I tell you what, hey, if anybody's interested in, in, in volunteering to serve on our tech team, we would love to have you. I mean, these guys are great, but we can always use more hands and uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to, to help us with that. Um, anyway, um, I, I meant like actual like rocks, like stones or, you know, something like that. If you could find something, do not do the rolling stones. <laughs> do not do the rolling stones. Do you have something? All right, let's see. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Oh, my, you guys. All right, um, anyway. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it wasn't to raise more support. It wasn't to gain more approval. This wasn't a, a campaign rally of, let's make Israel great again and drive, you know, more people to the polls so that he could get more votes. No, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem with a goal to die on the cross. And indeed, that's eventually what happens. But what's so ironic is the very people who just days before have been shouting, Hallelujah! Hooray! Our Messiah is here. Those very same people, when they realized that their expectations were not going to be met, were the exact same people that start to shout out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And ultimately, Jesus is crucified on the cross. But here's what you need to understand. Even when the crowd turned against him, Jesus wasn't deterred from his purpose. Because his purpose wasn't dependent on human approval. It wasn't uh, dependent on the praise of people. In fact, another one of Jesus' biographers, a guy by the name of Luke, 
He writes this in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 to 40. When Jesus came near Jerusalem at the place where the road went down to the Mount of Olives, the large crowd of his disciples began to thank God and praise him in loud voice for all the great things that they had seen. They shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory to God. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst out in praise. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I've seen people paint rocks. I personally have skipped rocks. Some of you are old enough to remember pet rocks. You may have had one of those. But one thing I've never, ever seen is a rock that cries out in praise to God. That seems impossible. But what Jesus is getting at here is this. He's like, look, if you as humans don't praise me, if you don't glorify me, then I'll cause the rocks to do it. Because Jesus is the one who deserves all the glory and the honor. He is the, the king above all kings. He is the name above every other name. He is the Lord over every other Lord. He says, if you won't worship me, then the rocks, the stones, they will cry out and worship me. But even beyond that, whether people were praising Jesus that day or they weren't, what Jesus is saying is, look, I have come to change all of creation because creation is broken. And I have come to make all things new once again. Now, today we have the privilege of hindsight. We can look back. We know the end of the story. We can see things that the disciples couldn't see in that very moment. But on this Palm Sunday, let me encourage you with this. Reflect all week long on the events that are going to happen. So, so today is the day we celebrate his, his triumphal entry. And then there's his last supper. There's his arrest, his trial, his death, and his burial. All week long as you reflect on those things, I want you to keep the three images in your mind. That the donkey represents what? Humility. Serving. That it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. The palm branches. That we are to praise God. We are to praise God. But we can't allow our expectations to keep us from the expectations of what Jesus actually wants to have happen. And that, yes, we are to worship him in all things. But again, keep in mind, it's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about your wishes and your hopes and your needs and your desires. It's not about you. It's all about him. So that's the biggest thing I want you to keep in mind is as you read through the Gospels this week and you're reading this account of Jesus' final week here on the earth, I want you to notice just how often Jesus is in tune with what the Spirit wants. 
Now, spoiler alert, it's going to be 100% of the time. That Jesus is always saying, Father, what is it that you would have for me to do? Give me the strength through the power of your spirit to do it. In fact, let me give you just one of them. Just a few days after the events that we're looking at here today, Jesus is going to, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, get down on his knees. He's going to wash his disciples' feet. He's going to share the, the Lord's Supper with them, communion. And then right after that, he goes into the garden to pray. He knows he's on his way to the cross. He knows the pain of what the cross is going to be like. And so he prays this in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So let me ask you a question. Is that your prayer at all times? That Jesus, not my will be done, but let your will be done in my life? Jesus, it's not about my expectations and what I want but I'm willing to go along for the ride because maybe you have something much better in store for me. And so I'm just going to be obedient each and every day to take whatever next step it is that you'd have for me to take. See, we need that kind of humility just like Jesus. So again, that, that's my prayer for you. So all week long, you would just reflect on the events, the events before the event, which we'll celebrate next week. Now, before we get to Easter next week, let's actually celebrate one of the other events that happen. We're going to share in communion together. And so at this time, uh, I'm going to ask you all here in the room to stand. Those of you that are watching online, if you want to get your elements ready, um, just one, at a, one row at a time, starting in the uh, back. You can go into the back area there, get your communion elements, and then bring them back to your seat, and then uh, hold on to them, and we'll actually all take communion together in just a couple moments.
people at home will appreciate that. All right. One of the most amazing stories in Scripture is Jesus gathering together with his disciples. And he gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. Amazing act of humility. And then he decides that he's going to share the traditional Passover meal with them. And there's very specific things in the Old Testament that said that, hey, this is, this is how you go about celebrating this meal. Jesus flipped that on its head. He, he did a lot of the traditional elements, but he started talking about new covenants, new agreements that were going to happen, that the, that the old was gone and the new has come. And so during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it and he, he gave thanks and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. He said, I want you to eat this in remembrance of me. And so we, uh, we obey that command even to this day, over 2,000 years later, that we're to take the bread and we're to, to break it as a reminder that Jesus' body is going to be broken on the cross just the, uh, the next day after the events that took place here. That he was going to give up his body for us. As I've shared with you before, the only right response that we could have to that of his body being given for us is then that we say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to give my body back to you. And so wherever it is you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever it is you want me to say, whatever it is you want me to give, whoever it is you want me to serve, I will do those things for you because we are so grateful for the sacrifice that he made for us. And so today as we break the bread and, and we eat it, I just want you to make that your own personal prayer to Jesus, that Jesus, you gave up your body for me. And so now I'm going to give my body back to you. Let's take the bread together. And after the supper was done, Jesus poured out the wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. He said, I want you to drink this in remembrance of me. And again, he was foreshadowing for his disciples there what was about to happen the very next day on the cross, that his blood was going to be poured out. And we read in Scripture that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You see, up until that point, all sin was forgiven because of the sacrifice of lambs and goats and bulls and pigeons. They would take it into the priest and they would offer up these things. And the shedding of blood was how their, their sins were forgiven. But Jesus came and he said, I am the new high priest. And I'm going to shed my blood once and for all. So that if you come to me for the forgiveness of your sin, your sin will be forgiven. 
And so that's what we celebrate each and every time that we drink of the cup. This represents his blood. The blood of the new covenant. Covenant that has nothing to do with lambs and goats and bulls and sacrifices in that way. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus shed his blood so that your sins could be forgiven, so that my sins could be forgiven. Every sin can be washed away because of the power of his blood. So let's just take this in thanksgiving for our own salvation, but then also be reminded that there are other people that don't yet know him, that if they were to die today, they would spend an eternal destiny in a very real place called hell. And it's our job as his followers, as we talked about last week, is to, to make sure as many people hear that good news that Jesus died for your sins and he wants to give you not just eternal life forever, but a fresh start, a brand new life right here and right now. So again, let, let's take this in re remembrance of his sacrifice for us, his shed blood for our own sins, but then also as a reminder that our job is now to share that good news with other people. So let's take the cup. Jesus, we thank you so much that over 2,000 years ago now on what we call Palm Sunday, you did triumphantly enter into Jerusalem, but not in the ways that the people thought. You came in as a king ready to establish a spiritual kingdom. Lord, we know that that couldn't be done by humans. It could only be done by you, God, Jesus, dying on the cross ultimately a couple days later so our sins could be forgiven. So Jesus, we do thank you so much that your body was broken and your blood was shed so that we can have not only the forgiveness of our sins, but we can have a fresh start, a brand new life, a new purpose, a new hope. So Lord, help us to walk in that hope. Yes, our, our circumstances may not always be what we want them to be, but that doesn't mean that our joy can't still be there. The joy of knowing you as our forgiver, as our leader. So Lord, help us to walk triumphantly in that. Help us to praise you each and every day. Because we know if we don't, you'll cause the rocks to cry out. So Lord, again, help us to to praise you not only just for our own lives and in our own privacy of our homes, but help us to praise you with every single person that we meet, that they would see you shining through us, that there's a, a light shining out of us, that we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And people say, wow, there's something different about you. What, what do you have that I don't have? And we could say, it's not me, it's all Jesus. And that, Lord, then we would have the courage either to share our own testimony of how you've changed our lives or invite people to join us next week for Easter or, or whatever that looks like in the moment. Just help us to be obedient because it's not about our will. It's about your will. And we know that your will is that all people, all men, women, boys and girls throughout this whole world will get to know you in a real and personal way. So help us to be your hands. Help us to be your feet. Help us to be your mouth to a lost and hurting world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.